tough summer for youths needing work. That was the headline of a May 26th Wall Street Journal article reporting on record high unemployment rates among American teens aged 16 to 19 as we head into the summer job season. And with the coronavirus pandemic drying up many of the traditional job options for high school and college students in restaurants and retail stores, at summer camps and swimming pools, many teens will miss out this year on the chance to earn income to help their families or put toward tuition. Perhaps more importantly, they'll miss out on the chance to gain their first experience in a real job. I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next. My guest today is education journalist, David Lowenberg, author of the new article, Summer School is the New Summer Job, Why Fewer Teens Are Working and Why It Matters. David's article will appear in the summer 2020 issue of the journal and is available now at educationnext.org. David, welcome back to the Ednext podcast. Thanks for having me. We should be clear that you reported this article long before the outbreak of the coronavirus pandemic and its economic impact became clear. But what your article reveals is that the current situation for teen employment is just the latest development in a long-term decline in the share of American teens working during the summer. Give us a sense of the scope of this change. Sure. So, you know, data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics basically shows that the percentage of teens working or actively working uh, during the summer is pretty much lower today than it has been in any time the last 50 years. So to put that into perspective, in the, in the 80s, about 7 in 10 teenagers were working in any given July. Uh, in the late 90s, it was about 6 in 10. Today, it's about 4 in 10, and, and probably actually a, less than that, depending on kind of what numbers you look at. So this is part of a long-term decline in teen work, and the decline was most significant between 2000 and 2010. And to your point, I think that the, the current economic and, and health crisis will only accelerate those trends. And we should be clear, what we're tracking here is not the unemployment rate, it's the employment rate, right? The share of all teens in that age group who are actively employed. It's not the share of teens who want a job who say that they can get it. Is that correct? That's right. Well, there's a few different ways we can look at this, but we're looking at 16 to 19 year olds. We can look at the labor force participation rate, and that's the percentage of teens uh, actively working or actively looking for work. Now the employment unemployment rate show, shows a similar story, although it's a little more complicated, but the trend is, is pretty clear, uh, no matter what kind of metric you look at. And this is a big change, as you said, from seven in 10 in the 1980s to roughly four in 10 today. What do you think explains it? Yeah, you know, there's, there's a few things going on. on. On one hand, fewer teens appear to be looking for jobs as they focus more on summer school and extracurricular activities. So. Uh, the rate of students enrolled in summer school is, is higher now than pretty much ever before. On the other hand, fewer employers appear to be looking to, to hire teens to, to fill those entry-level seasonal jobs uh, that, that teenagers are most likely to fill. And employers appear to be looking more to older workers, to foreign-born workers, and in some cases not hiring at all as, as minimum wages have increased. Um, one kind of adverse effect is that the cost of hiring for those entry-level positions is, is higher. And so there's kind of a, a, a both of a supply and demand issue here, and um, they've come together to really create this, this significant long-term trend. Yeah, the minimum wage issue is, is interesting. I was initially inclined to think that that was 
the major part of the story, perhaps the entire story, but then I remember that the federal minimum wage has been relatively stable, even declining over this same time period. State and local minimum wages have crept up in the past decade, and that suggests they could be playing a role, but it seems like there has to be another side to the story. Yeah, you know, it's difficult to suss out exactly what factors are, are, are most significant here, but the, the one that I found really significant was the, was the in, increase in summer school. Um, so if you look, you know, whereas in the 80s, about 10%, I think it was, of students were enrolled in summer school in, in July, now it's nearly half, it's, it's 40 to 50%. Um, and so I think the supply of, of teenagers looking for jobs has, has really decreased. And, and you couple that with, as you said, these kind of uh, just fewer, fewer employers looking for jobs, um, you, you come out with this, uh, this clear decline in, in teen work. So should we be concerned that fewer teens are working? So, you know, it, it really depends on what kind what teen you have in mind. I mean, you can imagine two teens here. You can imagine one who is pretty well off, who chooses to spend their summer taking courses, getting college credit, doing summer, doing sports camp, something like that. You know, that teen is probably going to be fine not having that job experience. They're probably going to get some kind of exposure to the working world in some other way. But you can also, you can imagine another teen who may not be as well off, who may actually want to work and simply can't find a job. What researchers tell us is that the the benefits of a job is actually amplified for disadvantaged teens because it might be one of the few opportunities to build professional contacts, to, to develop those important job skills and, and soft skills, no matter whatever you want to call them. Um, they are important, research says, for future employment and, and education. So the decline in work, I think, is most concerning because it could be, or it appears to be another way that kind of current inequities between advantaged and disadvantaged students are exacerbated because researchers tell us that the teens that benefit most uh, are actually the ones who are least likely to be able to, to find a, a job. You report in the article that low-income youth, regardless of racial or ethnic group, are about half as likely to be employed as their middle-income peers. So this decline overall, uh, I'm not sure if the decline has been larger, but uh, the rates are very different across social class. That's right. It, you know, it's somewhat a, a not what you would expect. Higher income, the higher the income up to a certain point, the more likely teens are to, to have a summer job. And there's a number of reasons for that. But um, researchers tell us that because low-income teens may have uh, less opportunity to, to build those professional contacts, to develop those job skills, that they're actually the ones who will benefit most from, from summer work. Now, what, if anything, should schools be doing about this trend? Essentially, all states have embraced the notion that students should graduate high school, college, and career ready, but they've struggled to define exactly what it means to be career ready. Do you think that having had on-the-job experience should be part of what they're seeking to uh, accomplish when it comes to preparing students for uh, careers? Well, that's a, that's a view that some schools and, and states seem to be taking, although it's, it's pretty limited at this point. But there are a number of things that schools can do and some are doing around what's called work-based learning. You know, it, it's not, it doesn't have to be changing your graduation requirements or changing, uh, significantly changing the structure of the high school experience. But there are smaller things that schools can do and are doing to more meaningfully integrate work 
and career development into the high school experience. So this can look like a number of things. It can be uh, offering, providing students with job shadowing opportunities. It can be incentivizing students to do internships or apprenticeships. It could be kind of expanding these programs where they already exist. And then on the more kind of intensive side of the spectrum where we've seen some schools really take this seriously, they can really rework their curriculum and their, their graduation requirements um, to incentivize and even require some sort of work-based experience. And, and I focus on Delaware as one state that's, that's really taken that approach. And how does work-based learning, as you just referred to it, in Delaware or elsewhere, how does that differ from traditional approaches to career and technical education, which obviously also are focused on making students career ready? Well, there are definitely some clear overlaps with, with CTE. Um, but I think, you know, people I talk to around workplace learning are wary of, I think, the divide that's often existed between kind of academics and, and CTE. And their point is kind of that all students should have the opportunity to both build job skills and earn college credit. That this shouldn't be some separate program um, that, that some students participate in, but really that work-based learning and, and the skills that you get from, from working benefit all students and should actually be a key part of the high school experience if you're serious about producing students who are both college and career ready. So rather than just being kind of a, a, a set-aside program for a certain group of students, the work-based learning is really about integrating career development and work into the full high school experience. Now, as you mentioned, Delaware seems to be a state that has taken this mandate or this responsibility seriously. What did you find when you looked at what's going on there? Yeah, you know, Delaware has been a real leader in integrating work and into the high schools. And, you know, part of this is Delaware has a rich history of, of around career and technical education. So they, the, the jump was not quite as, as, the leap was not quite as large as it would be for other states. But basically what this looks like in Delaware is a significant percentage of students participate in what's called a, their career pathways program. And so students take courses with real world applications that are aligned to a specific career. Uh, they participate in career development activities. They might participate in job shadowing. They, and then they're actually required in order to graduate to get some sort of work experience. So this could be an internship, an apprenticeship, uh, summer job, something like that. And, I focus on one particular school district that's been really aggressive with this. And, and they've forged really strong partnerships with the business community, with the, with the higher education community to facilitate this transition. So it's, it's not easy. Uh, it, it requires a lot of different sectors of education and business coming together, but uh, some schools and districts are doing it. And again, the idea is that there are these, these skills and experiences that that are really important for students to have. And since they're, since they're less likely now to get them on their own through a summer job or, or through other types of work, that schools should step up and, and kind of uh, help fill that role. But you also argue that part of the explanation for why Delaware is taking it seriously is less about uh, responsibility to develop student skills and as much about the needs of the economy. You write, if you ask officials in Delaware what's prompted their focus on work-based learning, they probably won't mention the decline in teen employment, uh, but rather what they're trying to do is make sure that they have students who are prepared to fill jobs in high growth fields. It's, is it as much about the needs of the economy as the needs of students? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's what I found talking to, to state and local leaders 
when I asked about kind of the long-term decline in teen work, I, I often got kind of uh, confused response. I, I, you know, most people don't spend a lot of time looking at uh, BLS data, but they do spend a lot of time talking to the business community, talking about the, the needs and skills gap that, uh, that exists in their local community. And there's been real momentum, I think, the last 10 years or so uh, around creating these stronger connections between schools and the workforce the labor market, not just for the benefit of the business community, but to really um, help provide students with credentials and an education that has real labor market value. Um, so that, I think, is really the driving force behind what's going on in Delaware. You know, the, the careers that they're focused on, the career pathways that students participate in are aligned with the industries that are in demand. So it's healthcare, it's tech, it's uh, advanced manufacturing. It's these fields that officials think that students will, will be able to have um, long and, and, and fruitful careers in. So let's come back to the current moment. It seems like this summer is essentially going to be a washout for teen employment uh, for the most part. Um, I think the question becomes, what implications may our current moment have for how we organize high schools going forward? There's already talk of different hybrid arrangements where a smaller number of students will be spending time in schools. Uh, there'll need to be other places. Uh, do you think? some of this uh, forced innovation may actually lead to opportunities to provide students with the type of experiences that work-based learning seeks to give them. You know, I'm, I'm skeptical that we'll see at scale the type of work that's been happening in Delaware. Um, you know, in, in the short term, I think that the trend is only gonna worsen, that the decline in work is only gonna be more significant. As I said, as, as the coronavirus kind of shakes up the economy, I think teens are probably going to not be, are, are probably not going to be first in line uh, or, or top of the list for employers who are, or who are starting to, to hire back. And, and I should also say on the, in the shorter term, you know, summer youth employment programs around the country, which are a key source of uh, summer jobs for, for thousands of teens, are being canceled this year, may be canceled next year, we'll see. So in the short term, I think the, the, the picture is pretty bleak. Um, longer term, you know, I think you could start seeing some more states take seriously the work-based learning component, but really, I guess I would, I would underscore that, that this is not something that you can do, you can just kind of do over the course of a year, go from a traditional kind of high school experience to one that really meaningfully integrates work. Delaware has, has, has put a, a lot of work into this and has had political leadership from the, from the governor's office down to the local districts. Uh, so this is something that, um, you know, I think some states will start to consider, but I'm skeptical that we'll see it at the scale that, that Delaware has done, done it. My guest today has been David Lowenberg, author of Summer School is the New Summer Job, which is available now at educationnext.org. David, thanks for being part of the podcast. Thanks, Marty. It was my pleasure. You've been listening to the Ednext podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you use so that you don't miss an episode. And especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.